As you can tell, there's a lot of bitch in me, and Strong this, bitch. this podcast is about trying to get that out. Never talk about yourself ever again. Kill yourself. Pasha here is our producer, our engineer, but he needs to learn his place and stop fucking interrupting me. Um, we are sponsored today by the NRA. Yeah, she seems like a stupid fucking bitch. <laughs> this might come as a surprise, Mike. People hate me. Pasha. Thank you for doing life with me, sir. Thank you, man. Love you, kid. Love you, too. This is doing life. In person. Ooh, we back in the building. Dog, it's good to see you. It is okay to see you. I <laughs> didn't realize you weren't white. I'm going to be honest. Didn't. Speaking of, happy birthday. Oh, fuck you. God damn it. I was really hoping that this would be another year that everyone like let it slip under the radar. Dude, I don't, does Chris have a fucking Google alert? Like... Most people have Facebook and it tells them, but I understand if you don't know what Facebook is. I am I am I on? Did somebody make a profile with my birthday on there? You might still be on MySpace. I think they made a good APIs. Maybe they integrated. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I was so dumb when MySpace was out. I made up a fake email to make an account. So there's not really a way to delete that. I just had to go in and just like delete all of the text. I can't remember why, but there was some like pretty good reason why I needed to get into my former MySpace account not so recently. Yeah. Like less than a year ago. And uh, yeah. It's to prove that you asked how old she was in those (laughs) online conversations. Yeah, that was it. That was it. That was it. Welcome back to Catch a Predator (laughs) Using MySpace. Um, Damn. It's good to be back. Uh, We we got on a quick grind there of like, ooh, we're knocking these out once a week Mm -hmm. and uh, tantalized people and then uh, pissed off our listening base again by going completely dark. I will say it is like, and we've had this conversation a lot about how we don't really care if other people listen. Like there is something interesting and I wouldn't say it's like flattering, but it's like, it is fun to continue the conversation via text when people reach out and they're like, Hey, I actually listened to that. Like, and then they'll ask me a question about it. And I don't know. It's cool to know people are listening, but also it's like fun to have those conversations with other people in your life. So yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, I, I Thanks definitely for listening, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Pasha, for uh, putting it out there, obviously from the production standpoint, the editing standpoint, the publishing standpoint, but also uh, 95% of our listeners have to be directly linked to you. <laughs> what about that 5%? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I got, I, I got family. <laughs> but like literally I like, I guess obviously our, our mutual friend group, we can split, but outside of that, no one from like my high school has been like, dog heard you. She was trash. Um, <laughs> Would you reach out early in someone's podcasting career to hate them? Cause I know like most, like I can't imagine what like Joe question. Rogan's Twitter feed is like, it's probably a lot of love, a lot of hate, mostly hate because people go to Twitter to hate on things. Yeah. Um, I think the day that we start getting like anonymous Twitter trolls is when you know you've made it. Like professionally, I'm already there where people will, <laughs> I have a hundred Twitter followers. So like I'm not active on Twitter and the two times a month I'll check. There's just like three people who are like, fuck you, go to hell. And I'm like, okay, that's Twitter. <laughs> and then I'll check in next Jesus. Month. Yo, yeah. Yo. Uh, yo. <laughs> I think those tweets are directly, partially the criteria of why you made 40 under 40. My dude. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> fuck you. That's for the happy birthday. All oh, right. Okay. Bring All that right. shit up. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, to that point on the would I hate somebody early in their podcasting career there was a kid from my high school who you know tried to rap and actually like he's probably still somewhat in the industry within Richmond uh, but at least like four years after we graduated high school and like I hit him up and was like yo I don't really I've listened to some of your music I'm not really a huge fan of it but like respect to what you're doing like great hustle like I hope things continue to go well didn't say a fucking word to me. And I was like, I felt like, I mean, I didn't say your music's great. Did you but have I was to still say, trying to, did you have to say not really feeling it dog, but do you, <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to just fucking lie to this man. Like I, I thought that was actually more poignant of like, yo, I, I'm not necessarily into your sound, but I'm a fan, but like what you're doing, I respect a lot. Keep right. doing it. Like how many people get encouragement, not actual hate. And this is a huge point of this. How many people get actual encouragement for someone who doesn't actively like their output. Like to me, that's way more incredibly rare. I could have either said, fuck you dog. You suck. And then, Oh, I can use that as fuel or like gas him up. Like, yo, you're the best man. This guy's fucking weak. I, no, I did something way more honest and I got 
nothing for it. We're about to go here on a tangent here because I do, I do believe that people fundamentally want to receive compliments in the things that they want to be complimented for, right? Mm. Like you want people to tell you you're funny, right? And then every bride in America wants people to tell them they're beautiful, right? Like if you go up to a bride on her wedding day and you're like, uh, I don't, I don't know. Obviously, I'm making this up, but it's like, hey, I really like the last book you read. They're gonna be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, tell me I'm pretty, and let's move on. Yeah, right? well, because that and that group, comment implies you've been watching them read. So, <laughs> well, it's like, no, I saw your Instagram, and I re- didn't really like uh, that book, but like, you know, like the last gotcha. book you read. And like again, if you go up to the groom, they're gonna be like, kind of made uncomfortable if you're like. Yo, dude, like, well, no, they'll be like, hey, you look good today or whatever. But like, they kind of want you to be like, yeah, your wife looks beautiful or something like that. You know, like you or you two are beautiful together. Right. Include her and into all that. Damn, dog. I would definitely bang your wife. (laughs) Yo, dog. What's she doing tonight? (laughs) (laughs) What's y'all's deal? Are y'all like together? Uh, I have woken up between uh, one of my Adam Rileski and Edie uh, for their engagement party. I woke up between them after. We went like we all went and like rented a Hummer limo and got yeah. shit house. And I woke up between them, and I was like scared for my life. Like, please tell oh, me you're butt ass naked. No, I was not butt ass naked. But I was like, oh, I shouldn't be here. And they're like, no, there's no other beds. Like, stay here. I was like, oh damn, y'all really taking care of me like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the goal is go from engagement yeah. party to wedding night. Yes, <laughs> gotta, gotta get in there. That is fucking hysterical. Yeah, I mean, you're totally right on the on the mirror that people want mm-hmm. placed up in front of them for sure. All right, well let's. Uh, are you ready to bitch? Yeah. You ready? To, let's 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 throw some heat out there. Okay. So this comes, a little too fucking chummy around here. This comes as a really organic Stephen A. bitch because I've had a lot of people who have like been talking about therapy, and then uh, a lot of my friends who all have meaningful intentions who are encouraging me to go to therapy, and I've been really thinking a lot about why I'm reluctant to go. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is going to be <clears throat> a question that I'm posing about like why I'm reluctant to go, but I'm going to try to answer it first, right? And you tell me if this is a good theory, bad theory, okay. or if I'm completely missing the ball here. And in order to answer that question, um, I was thinking a lot about the movie Sound of Metal. I know one of your personal favorites. If you have not watched that movie, like you shouldn't five minutes into your podcast tell everyone to turn your podcast yeah. off, but I'm going to spoil the movie. And I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Someone described it as like it crawls on your skin for weeks afterwards. And it really has done that for me. Not that it's like a horror movie, but it's just something that sits with you. And like while you're watching it, it's not super enjoyable. But the meaning and the theme is so profound that you kind of sit there and it's very subtle. Like you kind of sit there and unpack it for weeks. And and I've been unpacking it and I was thinking about something that um, basically they say near then. So I have to spoil it in order. To uh, I was going to say, like, yeah. there's so much in the movie that you can't fucking spoil. Dude goes deaf is like <laughs> yeah. the trailer. So yeah. Well, all right. So, so people on, on, I would also point out recent favorites. Like, I don't know where I'd put it necessarily all time. It's a fantastic film, but it definitely has gotten a lot of really solid critical acclaim for the year that it came out. Yeah. And Riz Ahmed did a great job of acting. Riz, if you're listening, I'm a huge fan. (laughs) So, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to fast forward the plot in 10 seconds and say that dude is a heavy metal drummer, goes deaf, his partner, like bless her, does a lot of research to find a community that helps with people who are struggling to transition late in life into being deaf. And the whole premise is basically this deaf community lives, I don't know if you want to call it a commune, but definitely like a sequestered community that is uh, independent, sustained by itself, and everyone in the community is deaf. The main character really, really wants to go back to his life with his partner because she plays in the band with him and she want, he wants to play the drums and he obviously has to be able to hear in order to do that. And he keeps thinking about this idea that if I only had $50,000 to pay to get this implant in, the surgery, then I will be good. And, and he, he ends up getting it, whatever. But in the process, he goes and he tries to confess to the guy who leads the commune and say, hey, look, I'm leaving because I'm going to get this surgery. And his, the, the leader's response is, obviously it's, in, it's signed and it's in subtitles, but it's, we do not think of being deaf as a disability that needs to be fixed. Mm. Okay? So that's the theme I'm going for here. Okay. We do not think of, insert your disability, as a disability that needs to be fixed. I've spent 11 years of my life depressed. I've attempted suicide three times, and I've really felt a lot of deep shame for that in terms of like 
what could have been wrong with me that would have led me to this idea that I needed to take my own life. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to confess to other people. And I appreciate this space for being able to talk about it. <laughs> One of the places that you absolutely cannot talk about it is a therapist's office. <laughs> and I, okay, here's where, here's where I'm going to go off the deep yeah, end. Yeah, okay? yeah, I see. Yes. At some point, you would not be satisfied and this is not me suggesting that all therapists need to have tried to kill themselves in order to re be relatable to me. But if you were playing a sport and dude had never played the sport in their life, would you really want to be coached by them? The number one thing that they always say, and everyone says whenever you tell them they're depressed, it's like, hey, let's fix it together, right? I'm going to go back to the sound of metal. I do not believe depression is a disability that needs to be fixed. I think it has been one of the most powerful agents in my life and has helped me tremendously through pain grow into an introspective person who I feel like the compliment I get more than anything else. And again, this is actually a perfect time when we're talking about having the mirror in front of you. Mm. The compliment I get more than anything else is, hey, you're like so emotionally intelligent for your age. Right. I think that's because of Kanye West refers to his bipolarness as a superpower. Like, I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong to say that depression in my life has been more good than bad knowing that i've made it to the point where i haven't taken my own life right yeah. and i think that there is an extent where it's like hey, look if you're at the point where you're literally considering taking your own life then there are things that like need to be taken in place to, to make sure that you're definitively doing well or okay but the idea of like r removing your depression i think is going too far and i think that going to a therapist their goals and their mission is completely misaligned with my mission. My mission is not to be happy, as weird as that is to say. I don't want to remove my depression. I want to understand, cope, learn from, live with my depression. And fuck a therapist for saying to me, like, why can't you be happy? Why don't you listen to happy songs? Why don't you do all this bullshit, cliche coping mechanisms? And I understand that my... my my three therapists that I've gone to are different than other people's therapists. But, but again, these are the thing, actual things that have been said to me, right? Like, yeah. why can't you just be happy? Like, that's not my goal. <laughs> so I'm not trying to do that. So my, yeah, my question is, is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? <laughs> and do you think that uh, your therapist is trying to cure your depression? I, that's a really good question. Uh, I, and I appreciate all of that context. Uh, definitely helpful. Don't actually think you necessarily had to like, say whether or not dude gets the implant or surgery <laughs> to make your fucking point, but oh, okay. whatever. Um, still worth watching regardless. <laughs> I've, I've only been in therapy twice as an adult. As a child, it was court mandated during my parents' divorce proceedings, and it was basically a tool of whether one person should get custody over another. And I don't know how my mom pulled this off, but... Uh, we went through multiple therapists until we, and each one of them, I think I had three. First two were like, kid needs both of his parents, not just one. And we, after the first one, we like, get another one, say it's the same thing. Third one's finally like, nah, it's cool. One parent's fine. He's going to be fine. And then that's the last one we stuck nice. with. Uh, nice, I've thought nice. about actually trying to like find that therapist and go back to them as an adult and see like what Murder that would be like. Sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never look up your old therapist. Uh, huge <laughs> red flag. Um, hey, I, I came to you as a child and <laughs> no. Um, the first one I had an experience to your like initial point about like <laughs> the suicidal thing is like the one thing you can't say. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure. Matt Shanker would pop up right now and be like, you guys are fucking stupid idiots. Please stop. It, it immediately was okay to talk about because that was my biggest fear of even going to therapy was like, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to get completely hospitalized immediately. Yeah. Um, and talking about the suicidal thoughts was okay to a certain point. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was a, Hey, now you have to call me by this time tomorrow or I'm calling the authorities. And when that, like the first time I went in and talked about it, it was like a relief of like, that didn't happen. And I was like, oh, this yeah. is beautiful. I can talk more. And then when it did happen, I almost didn't like see it coming. Like yeah. I was talking and then when I was done talking, she said that and I was like, oh fuck, we're in a bad spot. Yeah. Um, so I'll say like my basic premise is like, if I have a friend who I think is advanced stages of emotional intelligence, like can talk to me about basic coping mechanisms and stuff like that. And like, 
at least can synthesize their own, you know, whatever's, whatever's going on in their brain and whatever's leading them to the point to, to be depressed. I don't know if I can, in good faith, tell them, hey, dude, go to therapy. I, I feel like the default for so many people who know me are like, why don't you try therapy? And I'm like, I have. Yeah. It wasn't good. And also, <clears throat> I don't think I need it. Yeah. I, I, I would think say... That's part of the, Piss people off. Yeah, the I don't need it part, and, and, I'm, and I'm basically accusing therapists of not being able to do their job, right? Yeah, like hey, I don't think you're, I don't think you're good at making me a better, not necessarily a better human, but like being in a better place there. I, I want to be alive, not depressed, stuff like that. Yeah, because I don't, because again, like my premise is like depression does not need to be cured. It's good. Yeah, uh, I I totally understand where you're coming from and what you're saying, man. I mean, it's it's so difficult because thinking of mental illness as in some cases something that even can be cured in some cases as something that is separate from who you are which is the supreme difficulty to me with depression because it just feels like it's just part of who i am um and not something that ever really gets cured i think for people who don't have those coping mechanisms or don't have someone in their life in general that they can open up to. But I think the caveat that you put on this was one of your friends who is emotionally intelligent already. Yeah. Right. Like if you don't have those resources and you don't have those tools yet, it's, it's going to be really beneficial. If you do have them, I think you made a great point in bringing up sound of metal because what was so difficult to sit with in the movie was him trying to sit with himself mm-hmm. and that battle. And obviously it, made even more incredible with like the soundtrack and or lack of sound of how fucking difficult it is to just sit with yourself. Yeah. Um, so if you already have that m- level of emotional intelligence, I, I yeah, I don't think therapy is going to do much for you. And I actually like kind of feel this way now for myself. I told you the other day I, I reached out to a therapist and, um, yeah. that, that right. it got worse actually. Oh, dude, so, that, that's, dude, that's so fucked. And, and obviously we don't need to like, like, yeah. analyze all the reasons why therapists have disappointed us in our life. <laughs> but I think that like for me at this point like when someone says like hey why don't you go to therapy it's like genuinely my journal can do 50 times more than the, any therapist I think in the world can okay any therapist is obviously yeah. generalism but like I even I'm even at the point mentally where I like I'll meet someone and I'm like what do you like what do you do like oh I'm a therapist like I just assume that they have a very limited scope in terms of like what they can and can't do and like again like it's a really bad example which, but, but which is true for almost any professional yeah like sure any professional is going to have an incredibly limited scope of what they can do and even if they work in a certain industry they're gonna be completely ignorant like uh, hey, i work for bank of america oh do you understand the financial market no no, no i just like code something in software yeah okay yeah so, that's, that's true yeah i mean yeah you're yeah. it's a bit overboard but that's why it's a stephen a bitch so um yeah i think that i'll take it similarly to going to a physical trainer, personal trainer. Like I ride with my buddy Brad two times mm-hmm. a week and like it's not enough. Like and it's not his fault. He does a great job. It's the days in between. I'm not waking up on a daily routine. When mm-hmm. I was going to therapy, I was more likely to be writing in my journal. So like, mm-hmm. okay. But don't, that, get, me, don't that, get me started on personal trainers, by that, the way. That well, I know, like, I know, it's a whole separate Stephen A. bitch. And like when you said the I the they only have a limited scope and they're probably hurting people in other ways. Like I knew that's exactly where you're going. I watched, but, I watched a personal trainer teach someone how to deadlift the other day, and the dude was just like all lower back. Like it wasn't a stiff like deadlift. And I was like, you are. I had to stop my workout and be like, hey, dude, you're killing this guy. Like let's get his technique right. And I stepped in. And like five minutes in, I looked at the guy, I was like, how many times do you train other people deadlift? He's like, every session, I think it's so important. I was like, if it's so important, you should learn how to fucking deadlift. <laughs> and I put my headphones in and walked away. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. The, the point being that like, whatever you can do on a daily basis, the reason that your journal is a hundred times more impactful than going to therapy is because it's something that you do with yourself on a way more frequent basis. Mm. So if you are already at that level of capable of that, then that's gonna be way more beneficial. Yeah. Uh, the therapist suicide thing is like, I would love to actually have that conversation more in depth with Matt Shanker mm-hmm. uh, on like his professional take, because that, that is a really difficult part of it. My second therapist, I had no trouble. Like 
had t- first session talked to him like, yeah, I've been to therapy before. I've opened up about suicide before. Sometimes it's gone well. Sometimes it's gone very bad. Mm-hmm. And we got that out of the way early. And I never felt like I couldn't talk to him about it. That being said, I never during that time frame got to the same level that I did before. So I don't know how he would have reacted. Yeah. That being said, it, as soon as I did say it in the first therapy, it immediately became the therapy wasn't about being cured. The therapy was about being able to get out of therapy without this person taking away my freedom or like thinking that I was just lying to them. It's a Hilarious. whole different issue. Or, um, or actually lying and like being like, why am I paying someone to not examine myself emotionally? I would, yeah. I, I would love, I would love just like you said to have Matt Shaker on and talk to him about it. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I've had similar experiences, but I've had friends. Again, the the original premise was like it's really been eating me up. Where a lot of people are like, "Hey, you should go to therapy," and I've been really, really denying it blindly. And I finally like sat with myself yesterday and was like, "Why am I not going there?" And I stumbled on this, and I was like, "Yeah, like that's how I feel about the profession. Yeah. I don't think they're good at their job because they're optimizing for the wrong goal. I think most most therapists have no understanding of like depression and suicide firsthand." Those that do, I'm not saying they're more qualified. Um, but again, like I think the, the conversations I've had that have been most meaningful are with people who have also had suicide encounters and like they're the people who quote unquote get it and I can relate to yeah. and can speak freely with without judgment. And that's what you're hoping out of a therapist and it never happens. So because again, they're like, oh, well, like we can fix that. It's like, dude, I don't, I'm not trying to fix I've that. never heard, yeah. I, I haven't had any experience where they've said we can fix that in that way or like this is how we cure you. So I haven't heard those terms used for me. Sure. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily the way that the people that I've worked with look at it. So it's super hit or miss though, clearly. Like mm-hmm. even in just reaching out, I, I, I won't even get into further with the, the issues that I had just trying to contact one uh, recently <laughs> and his email um, back and forth with me is unprofessional to say the least. Um, and uh possibly HIPAA violations to say the most, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the one thing that you brought up in there, I think probably the like main uh, tenant was that like your depression is incredibly valuable to you. And I think that's something that uh, I was talking to my brother and sister today. Um, and it was something that kind of came up of like looking at, looking at like the last 10 years of my life here, like, okay, like, of those 10 years, only like three, actually 12, three of the last 12 years are the only years that I've had more income than debt accumulation. Like, mm-hmm. um, and the, the years previous to those three years were train wrecks, absolutely awful mentally. But to the point of you talking about the value of your depression, like those years having to sit with myself, having to suffer in that way, mm-hmm have helped enhance what is most certainly my best quality and in, in what you talk about people bringing up for you, which is that level of emotional intelligence yeah. without having to sit there and, and deal with it. That wouldn't have arisen. Uh, it's tough to say whether, you know, you're already predisposed for it, but the counter argument being you don't have to sit there for as many years or you don't have to suffer alone. Like yeah. you can still derive that emotional intelligence, by seeking a quote unquote cure. Like sure. it's more just coping. Well, like, I don't actually think is, anyone gets cured. You just learn to cope and understand better. Like yeah. there's not a cure. Yeah. I think there's, I think, there, I think there are a lot of avoidant behaviors in, entrenched into the idea of like seeking happiness rather than confronting your demons or confronting the things that are making you depressed. Right. right? Like sitting in, sitting in a room, journaling, listening to depressing music, crying, like, that's it's not going to lead to happiness right it'll lead to some type of resolvement for yourself in the sense that like maybe you can have a breakthrough and then tomorrow's harder and two hours from now is harder or whatever right like a lot of these things are temporary but things that you can lean back on as you fight the demons and, and more things come up you know it's like conquering a small army i think we've we've <laughs> we've, uh, we've definitely gone deep on this and it was supposed to only be a Stephen a dish yeah. i apologize no. for the level of depth and i, I do want to say it opened up with obviously me rambling for a while and then you you responded with like thanks for the context which is like hilarious uh double talk for like dog more concise <laughs> dude damn oh. if i if i did that it, i don't know if that was my intent maybe it subconsciously was i know yeah uh no it was dog shut the fuck up <laughs> get to the goddamn point no 
I, I appreciate the, the depth of the Stephen A. Bitch. Um, and, and honestly, that context was hugely important because I thought you were just going to be like, they're just fucking suck and you can't tell them shit, which... Mm-hmm. You can't, and they suck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so actually, yeah, the, that was double talk. You could have said a lot more concise. Uh, <laughs> in what you brought up with uh, uh, Sound of Metal, I think transitions nicely to the actual subject of today outside of the Stephen A. Bitch, the serious subject. I don't know what we should call our main, we always say meat um, Mm. or the potatoes, Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. which is a a very off-putting segment name. So maybe we can come up with something better. But uh, you were talking about the main character's girlfriend and like the amount of effort that she put into trying to find him a community Mm -hmm. and like help aid him in the best way that she could. And then I will fucking spoil the end where at the end he has tried to get back. He's gotten his implant and he's tried to reenter the world and reenter that relationship. And it's not there. Yeah. And that to me has a lot in it as well. Um, and the just general relationships and which ones we keep and which ones we don't is what we wanted to get into today because I feel like there's such a focus on keeping so many relationships in your life alive and that when people fall off or you fall off with them or they they don't want you in their life anymore that it's necessarily a negative thing and i disagree with that Mm -hmm. i I know that there's pain in it and that we naturally do not want to feel that pain but that there's such a a stigma of having to keep relationships and especially you and i have dealt with it with every time somebody said something about like your mother like oh you don't have a relationship with your mom what she's your mom it's like yeah man what is this obsession with keeping relationships that are not beneficial um yeah so to me like the main question that i have for myself with whether to keep a relationship or not is am i going to grow more with or without this person or is this person going to grow more with or without me like are we helping each other yeah, I think the so we both started at some point with like the conversations to ourselves about like, okay, I have an abusive mother and that takes a long time to to come to terms with. Like labeling your own mother as abusive right. is a lifetime journey. And then having the conversation about like, well, what do I do? The idea of like ending the relationship is not one of the first five thousand <laughs> right. options that you come up with. So the idea that it is this cut and dry for something that deep, like I mean, I'll, I'll use a few things, right? Like we're talking about therapists asking the wrong questions in terms of trying to cure depression. I think a lot of the influences in your life also ask the wrong questions where it's like, if you break up with a girl, cause we're talking about relationships, familial dating, right. platonic, all of the above. Oh, real Freudian slip for you to go from a mother to a girlfriend. <laughs> no, <laughs> What's it, the difference? Yeah. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think you ask yourself this question where okay, I've tried everything and it's still not serving me in the way that I want it to be served, right? Uh, there was a moment that I kind of asked myself, well, I was like, what is it that she could do that I wouldn't give her another chance, right? And I realized the answer to that question was nothing. And in that moment, I realized I had no relationship with my mother, right? Mm-hmm. I, was, I was there, <laughs> but like, I was basically just like, a soundboard for whatever it is that she wanted to yell at me about that day, right? My response was insignificant. The way that she responded to my response didn't matter to her at all. And I was okay with her ignoring it and continuing to yell, right? Like it was a one-way conversation. And I don't think that the extremes, that sort of extreme manifests itself in other relationships. Like we were, you and I are in a stretch of a long, a lot of bachelor parties for our college friends. Um, and I, I do think that there is concern that like when you organically see someone, it's easy to keep that relationship. And when you don't right? like when the bachelor party is and when maybe this is the last time that I'm going to get to see them, um, not because they die, but because they have, you know, they get married, they have kids, the time that they can go to take away out of their life becomes fewer and far between. Right. And it gets more consumed with family and, and par- partners, family and stuff like that. Right. So it makes you ask the question where it's like, damn, how many of these can I realistically keep? Who, like, where do I draw the criteria? What's the number? Like, 
and how often from a frequency standpoint do I have to interact with these people to like consider it a relationship? So, Mm. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in terms of the layers of like abandoning a family member or like choosing to have a family member. I don't know why you said the word abandon there, but choosing to have a family member no longer in your life, (laughs) choosing to not have a girlfriend in your life Mm. anymore, choosing to not have a friend in your life anymore. Um, there's, there's tears to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I hadn't yet started having like those concerns on the like we're, we're we're getting to these stages where people are building their own families and not just their own like relationships on the side where like they live in another state and I haven't met their significant other and okay um you know I'm doing my own thing too so it's all good yeah obviously that is going to pick up uh, a lot for sure um I don't know comparing it to you know high school friends that are still around it's when you see them, it's all love. Uh, you don't have to really keep up that much or that well. Um, I mean, if it wasn't for fantasy football, uh, I would have the exact same relationship and fallen off with a ton of people from college because it's just, it is difficult when you're not constantly in someone's life, like you're not involved. Um, Cause then it's, what, what are the, then what are the phone calls? Right. This is yeah. more so for me with like the, the, the more the family angle of like, I'm just going to call and, and you have to tell me what's been going on in your life. I have to tell you, it's like this weird automated thing. So I don't call my nieces and nephews. Like uh, I try to like send them videos for like their birthdays or something like that. Um, huh, so that cute. they don't have to feel like I, not that they would, but that they, Oh, I got to get on the phone, talk to this person. Hey, thank you so much. Okay. This is what's going on. School's good. I just like send them a video of something that I'm doing for their birthday. Let them know I'm thinking about them. and like move on from there. It is somewhat one-sided. I'm not like having a dialogue with them but they don't have to feel like they have to report to me, which is like what you have to do with everyone as yeah. a child. So I don't know. Maybe that's a weird thing no, where I, mean, I, I think of these relationships as like, I have to like fucking report to you. If you're not, I don't think about having to report to you, Pasha. Right. Yeah. But like some people it's like, Oh, this is a whole fucking to do. Well, I think it, it kind of stems from our relationship with our moms where like there was that for you, Jewish guilt where it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, my mom says that I haven't called her enough and therefore I must call her. And then the moments where I don't call her, I'm getting absolutely eviscerated and calling her anyway to get roasted, right? (laughs) Which is like its own version of like hell on earth. And like, yeah, why would I continue that relationship? Like, I'm going to call you so that you can tell me I'm a piece of shit. Like, great. I do that to myself all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I don't fucking need you to do that. Uh, (laughs) We've just had another one, Mikey, our relationship with God. (laughs) We've been to that pretty quickly. Oh God. But um, we we were both fatherless for a long time, right? (laughs) Um, yeah, so I'll say, I'll say the things that, the things that I asked myself, um, Blaze a long time ago, uh, mentioned to me, he's like, I'm okay if I never make another friend. And I asked myself, okay, there's two different perspectives on this. Number one, there's like a very nihilistic perspective of like, okay, I've lost my like childish curiosity and I, I already know what the other person's going to say. Fuck them. Like, you know, I've already got all this figured out. Is there a part of me that believes that? Yes. Like my <clears throat> desire. I mean, it's pessimistic, not necessarily nihilistic, but go sure, ahead. pessimistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my desire for spontaneous interaction has seriously decreased, mm. and spontaneous in the sense of like someone at a coffee shop like says something to me, like I'm at the point where like I won't even like give them a head nod or respond or take off my mask. I will just like look and then look back <laughs> like, which is like fucked up that I do that Wait, sometimes. Like what, wh- can you give me an example of what they're saying to you? Um, uh, are was they it, like, just like, Hey, what's up man? As they're sitting down or are they like, Hey, excuse me, sir. I have a question for you. No. Okay. I was in line at a, a restaurant the other day, like a to go place, like a grab and go. And I was wearing a South Carolina, like sleeve of shirt. And I just left the gym and you know, the guy looks at me and goes like, Oh, did you go to South Carolina? And I'm like, I literally looked at him and just looked back at the lady. I was like, I'll get chicken. <laughs> like, blah, 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 blah. Which again, makes me kind of a fucking asshole. But like, yeah. I, I know that they're like, when yeah. I think about the frontier of future relationships I will have, I know because of moments like that, that like my desire for spontaneous interaction has obviously decreased. And I wonder what that stems from. And I wonder what needs to happen in order to like supersede that bridge. Right. Is it because I'm busier and my time is more valuable and like I feel stressed so I'm like not looking to waste time? I think that's also part of it. So okay. I do think that like um, like in that example, I think the guy like was clearly trying to hit on me and I was just like trying to like not be nice. 
and you were like, yeah, you were like in my country, they would have killed you. (laughs) I wasn't trying to like, I wasn't trying to engage so that we could like have that message come across as quickly as possible. And, um, yeah, I asked myself like, so yeah, so let's, let's bring this up. Like now that we are all like growing apart and people are like, you know, their time is, is fewer and further between you can't plan vacations with them and stuff like that. Like how much are you going to rely on yourself to fill those voids right with time by yourself versus like try to make new friends and try to like be the person who goes out and plans things and like gets other people to do stuff. Right. Like when those things aren't happening as naturally and organically, right. Where do you, what's the right decision? Where do you fall? And like, how replaceable are these people? Oh, damn. I mean, first, I don't, in the growing apart uh, narrative there, I don't necessarily think that that's like the case. Like the the depth of friendship that we all have, like not all, but uh, to a higher frequency, the depth of friendship of the friendships that I have is much, much higher quality than it was 10 years ago. Like, not that we weren't all good friends then, mm-hmm. but like, and we could certainly talk. Obviously, we were recognizing emotional, intelligent levels in each other and, and building upon those. But I, I wouldn't even say for, you know, a lot of people that I don't talk to that often or like, you know, guys in our friends group that I only see like once a year, I don't, I wouldn't view it as like growing apart. I know that obviously okay. what you're saying so is like that's pushing that into the future of like they have families and you know those those holiday weekends whatever that's going to be oh, I got to go to my in-laws or I'm doing something with my kids there's a birthday party so yeah so let's go back in time and say like you're in college and you have a friend group and you know you're not friends with everyone in the friend group but some of them you just see and you like exchange pleasantries so you're saying the ones that we're more connected with you are getting even closer with and the ones that maybe you're just exchanging pleasantries with like those are, you know, they were never, they were never super deep. And now the times that you can't scratch the surface, it's, it's fun and fine. But if that happens, you're in far between, you're cool with it. Um, yeah, but I think what I would say is even with the people in my life now, I'll just fucking use you as the blatant example even with the friends that were deep then and are deeper now, if we grow apart, it will be for reasons. And I won't be mad or like upset at the situation because it it will be, so it'll be like a number of things. If it is because you are off building other parts of your life and we drift apart, then if that's the main reason, that's fantastic. But who's the onus of responsibility to say that like, hey, look, this isn't intentional and it's actually not responsibilities that are growing. It's just like an inertia is slowed and we are actually like, it would actually be nice to like, you know, prod it in the direction where there is more interaction again, right? Like, how does that happen in a platonic relationship, right? Like if, yeah, I'm, if I'm dating I, someone, I can be like, hey, look, we're not spending enough alone time together. Like, let's go on a date. And maybe that onus does fall on one partner or the other, whoever is like handing, handling the emotional burden of the relationship. And I can definitely say that I felt like I was the one handling the emotional burden of my previous relationship. And like, it is one of those things where I realize like, and people say this all to like a lot of my close friends say this to me all the time that I am like the glue that keeps a lot of my friends together and stuff like that. And it, it, that is not lost in me. I feel like I'm putting a lot of like, um, not necessarily like pressure and responsibility on myself, but like, most of the times things happen because I planned them and I like planning them. I'm also afraid that like I'm planning too much and that if I wasn't planning things, things would fade. And maybe that means that people really don't actually care that much in the first place. And I'm holding on to something longer than everyone else wants to hold on to it. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I think in both situations, both platonic and, and romantic, that the key factor is less how is life develop, developing for each person and in what direction and more in the, are you communicating about 
how what you are feeling and the direction that things are going right like I if, never do. If, <laughs> yeah, no, so, when it's going poorly, I never tell them it's going yeah, poorly. Right? I mean, like, <laughs> that, that's natural for all of us. <laughs> like, it, it is way more natural to not speak up about when things are going in a direction you don't want. Um, because that's shaking up the status quo to begin with. And two, you have, if you take a positive look at it, you're like, all right, well, maybe things will get better anyways. Let me just not bring it up because it's going to create static or anything like that. But with somebody that you are building trust with or already have trust with to some degree, take, take what they say with to you at, at face value. Like if you hit up a good friend that you haven't seen in a while, you're like, Hey man, I act, like really miss seeing you. Like, can we put something together? Mm-hmm. And, and that person blows you the fuck off and like, doesn't apologize, doesn't circle back to it at some point. Then not in the interim, don't immediately be like, this person is like, clearly undervaluing me or like it doesn't have the same priorities um uh, obviously give them some time but it, we all have that interaction of somebody you run into and you're like oh man we should yeah let's get together and it doesn't it, fucking transpire it's, it's not a no opportunity cost event like the idea of like maintaining every relationship in your life like that I, is like that. i mean like it's just it's it's emotionally more consuming than it is time consuming yeah and like staying current in people's lives like is a fucking endeavor and i do find myself like there is a desire to want but an emotional bandwidth where I register where I'm like, Paul, I cannot do that right now. Like I, that's too much for me at this moment to continue this relationship. And your, your point about communicating, like it's very hard for me to like not be all in on things. Like the idea of like, Hey, I am going to be like a very passerby in this relationship with someone. Like imagine that I'm dating someone and I'm not the kind of person who can like be cool about it. Like I, <laughs> I need, I need to be like, Hey, like we're really connected. Or yeah. like, that's it, right? Like the idea that like, I see you when I see you and then like we hang out and like we're friends, but also like you're seeing other people, I'm seeing other people or like trying to figure out if we're going to date like that would never work for me. And even if that's something that I wanted, I would never be able to express it. And I would just defer to what makes her happiest. And mm-hmm. I would do that. And it's been a huge issue in all my relationships where I don't feel like I'm actually getting what I want out of the relationship. I am just there because i don't want it to end and i'm like this person is good enough for it not to stop altogether but also like i'm not happy gotcha all right well so that's super interesting to me because i feel like that gets to the crux of the dilemma of short versus long relationships what do you think that is inside of you that is saying the main objective is for this not to end i think it stems a lot from like the idea that when I was younger, like I was not a popular kid. Like I was bullied in elementary and middle school and like it was hard to make friends. So like there's a fear of being alone and like spending a lot of time alone, and, like not having people to hang out with and stuff like that. So like that, the idea of like mm. detachment or separation or like some form of abandonment or, or losing someone is very, very visceral for me. And I'm, I'm trying to, realize like hey i have enough friends now and i have enough people who love me that like losing one doesn't really fucking matter to me at all and i mean that being said it still hurts you know especially if it's someone you're dating right like it's never gonna not hurt right so yeah Yeah, i mean yeah it's someone who's immediate in front of you that you are having especially when it's romantic there's it's more than just obviously that that friendship angle like it's hitting a lot of other spots of your self-worth of your sexuality yeah you know i'll say i'll say this like i and i've said this to you before like um yeah the two longest relationships i've ever been in my life like both of them i wouldn't say at the time that i broke up with them were one of the top five maybe ten most important people in my life but still it was like really really heartbreaking afterwards right because there is a familiarity right and there's like there's a sense where it's like okay i don't like long for it back but i do miss like being there and having that feeling and having like you know something that felt fine and pleasant you know and it's it goes back to the question of like when you're talking when you're talking to people yeah and they ask you like hey you should go to therapy like one of the other questions you get all the time when you break up someone it's like oh what wrong what 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 went wrong yeah as if there needed to be some like you know large demonstrable event that occurred that makes it all justified to not pursue your life together where the real really the real question is like okay like 
do you know what you're looking for now? Or like, do you know like what they were missing or like, and maybe that's not even the right question, but like, it should be more focused on like knowing yourself and understanding what you seek out of a relationship rather than like, Hey, they were like fun and I liked them. Like, why did you break up with them? It's almost like standing on trial for something like a murder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I used to, this is a very short, uh, short-lived run I, I used to when people would tell me that they were um had gotten divorced uh, i would say congratulations in a, in a non-sarcastic way yeah. um and some people understood the intent the majority of the time it was like yo what the fuck did you just say like what is wrong with you um but it's like well clearly you either you guys didn't communicate like that now that there was something wrong but it was that I think coming back to that, that main question, there was more growth outside of that relationship than there is inside of it for, sure. at, for who you are at this time, right? At this, at that moment sure. when it happened, like that was the way that it needed to go because if not, it would have gone a different way. Is it selfish? Yes. Did they make their own life better? Hopefully. Right. Yeah. Like, and that's why you say congratulations. Like, Hey, you made a decision that was best for you. And it was hard. Right. Well, I, I think what, what we're somewhat ignoring in this situation is that, and why I stopped saying it is because uh, for a lot of people, it wasn't their decision. Like they weren't the arbiters of control. So it's like for the person that's like the way we're yeah. talking about it is like we ended the relationships and these are the reasons why I have immense empathy for that other person who it, it wasn't really their choice and they didn't really want it. Uh, but again, it, my point still held valid that if you didn't want it, but the other person did, then clearly there's a disconnect in your relationship anyways. My buddy, um, so, my, my buddy Kenny was talking to me about this the other day. And it's like, it's funny that you pick on the person who gets divorced rather than does the breaking up as having more pity for them. Where like, I think most, like most people who study that type of thing would suggest that the emotional trauma is actually much worse for the person doing the breaking up. Because you can point to the abandonment and say like, oh, well, they said, fuck you. And there's no other thought, right? (laughs) Meanwhile, when you break up with someone, you have to sit with it every day. Like, did I make the right decision, right? And every time you have the anxious moment or the the moment where like you miss them, like say you're laying in bed and they're supposed to be next to you, right? You're thinking about it again. Then you go to cook a meal and all the codependencies of like, hey, we used to cook this together. This is the role that I play and this is the role she played. You're constantly renegotiating that conversation of like, was it really as bad as I thought? Could I have made it work? Right. There's a lot of stress yeah. for that person. And um, yeah, the, the times that I've had, like I've never been in like a serious relationship where I've gotten broken up with. And like, that's not like, dude, you're the fucking man. I'm just like trying to opine on the situation yeah. at this point. Um, yeah. Like actually, for example, my buddy TJ who lives with me now, like he got out of an eight year relationship and she broke up with him and he like, He's so much more focused on like his career and they were engaged, right? Like they're so much further off than I was like, he's just like, yeah, you know, like I can see her. She can text me. It doesn't bother me. And, um, you know, he's like focused on his career and like trying to like do right by himself at this point. And it like, doesn't really hurt him. And, um, I think about that all the time where it's like, maybe the hard part about like ending a friendship is feeling like I'm the one who's ending it. Right. Um, and maybe like the blessing of all this is like, Hey, and this goes back to the idea of like our moms where it's like, what could they do? to make us end this relationship. It's like, Hey, like, am I actually vocalizing myself and communicating in a way where I'm getting everything I want out of this relationship? And maybe I need to do a better job of towing the line and actually building the relationship in a way that it serves me. And if they're not cool with it, they can leave, you know, rather than me being the one who's like, Hey, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the thing that you want. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I think with along with that, it's the, it's to me seemingly less the dilemma of like, I'm the one who's ending this relationship and more the dilemma within your own internal internal feelings of I am the one who's hurting you. That's the way it strikes Ah. me a lot more, right? Like with what I've heard you uh, discuss about Victoria, what, what I know is there for us and our moms. It, to me, it's way less the, ending of the relationship because we both clearly can see logically that there's there's still value to the relationship but that there's more growth over here or i couldn't help you any further i've done everything that i can i've exhausted myself or you've exhausted yourself and now there's no point to this anymore the real emotional issue is 
what I'm doing, you're confused by, and it is hurting you immensely. And, and in turn, it's hurting me because I'm having to hurt you. Okay. So, okay. I, I do, I do hold that where I imagine I'm bringing pain into their life. And I guess the question is like, are you really bringing pain into their life? Probably yes. At least some type of immediate pain. Long-term, probably not. No. And I, I mean, yeah. I, and I agree with that as well, right? Like, first of all, both short and long-term, you're actually not responsible for their pain, right? Like you may do something that hurts them, but you are not responsible for the way they react to that, whether they blame you for something. No, it's uh, focusing on our mothers without, without a fucking doubt, it doesn't matter one way or the other. Their lives will be either the way they are. Mm-hmm. I couldn't cause that woman more pain. She's already in it. She just doesn't see it, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. but from their point of view, in that moment of the at, at ending things or you know not speaking with the times that you don't call uh, it, it is some level of that person's doing something or not doing something and it's hurting me that that was really my point and the dilemma being for myself i'll just speak to it like not speaking to my mom she doesn't get it it doesn't matter how many times i've sat down for hours on end driven well out of my way Mm -hmm. and sat there and tried to walk her through everything for me my brother and sister for other people in her lives she doesn't see it she's never going to get it and every couple of years it seems like i sit down to try to do it again like oh maybe she'll have changed and it it is blatantly obvious that everything that is happening to her she feels like is other people hurting her. So that, that's why I say it that way. And it's funny. It's like, that's a, that's, I think that's a perfect conclusion to this where it's like so much of the narrative I have in my head is like, I want to be an agreeable person and I want to do more good than evil in the world. Therefore, like the idea of me hurting people by ending the relationship is not a good quote action. And the way you described it where it's like, we can't control the way they receive it. Like my mom, when I sent her all that stuff or the email and stuff, no, I was, asking for us to rebuild the relationship in a way that could serve me and uh, like us together and her response is like you know fuck you and like fuck i wanted a son i had you instead right that kind of thing where it's like okay well, like damn good that, burn that, good like, burn <laughs> yeah like that that had nothing to do with the message i sent you right? yeah and like yeah again like when i yeah when i broke up with victoria her first response was like what is there someone else and it's like okay like how can i like even <laughs> respond to that where it's like we live together. It's COVID. Like you see me every single second. Of course, there's not someone else, right? Like, you know, the answer to that, but in her mind, there's the level of like, like wanting to not believe or not put pressure on herself to imagine that there were like problems in our relationship. Right. And it's like, well, I'm perfect. Therefore, this is you fucking up. Like, you must have been cheating on me. Or you must have made a bad decision. Or this was something you didn't haste, right? Like, we didn't talk about it before. And it's like, no, we really did. You know, like, we, I tried to. And you weren't hearing it. So, um, yeah. I think this has been a good conversation. And um, I guess I am still concerned about the idea of, like, trying to make more time for new relationships by, like, weeding out old ones you know and like make space in my future rather than having my past take up so much of my present right um but i don't know i think what you said was exactly what needed to be said where as long as you can like communicate and try to like set the set the standards or the boundaries for what your relationship should be then it doesn't need to be a choice, right? It needs to be like, okay, if, if you can operate by these rules and these operating procedures, then this is going to be good for both of us, right? Or at least good for me if it works for you, right? Like if yeah. you agree to these terms. And I don't do a good job of that in any relationship in my life. So um, yeah, I think that'll be something I try to consciously do and maybe have more like uncomfortable conversations with people moving forward. So we'll see. Dude, we'll you see. love uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> yeah. Wait, and I, I said all that, that what you just said, I, 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 I'm the fucking man. I know some <laughs> shit, dog. What's good? Um, yeah, I know. I there was a lot in that. Uh, this will definitely be another one to to listen back to and and piece through. Um, and did, I, and did, I I don't know. Go ahead. I said we did a terrible job putting the ads and funniest things in like intermittently through. Just blasted. So, yeah. yeah. 
put put them all to the end this week. But serious uh, topic to serious topic. Yeah, so that's good. All right. Do you do you have a, an ad that you feel like transitions well, or would you like me to just blast into mine? Um, I can I can go first because you and I um literally just got back from Nashville. We were at a bachelor party, and um. We are sponsored today by the good people of the city of Nashville. How about that, Mike? Oh God, this city is, of Nashville. Oh God. Are you are you a musician aspiring to have your soul sucked out as you play '80s hairband music on repeat to placate the desires of the forty bachelorette parties you're performing for? Come to the city now being referred to as Nash Vegas, which basically no one should interpret as a compliment, and most likely has everything to do with the ephemeral nature of the bar patrons whose flights home are almost always filled with regret. Want to spend $300 in a bar owned by Kid Rock that's playing Freebird? <laughs> How about have white men buy shots for your bride-to-be as she blacks out and cries in a city whose Airbnbs now come standard with towel and sheet ruining uh, fines because of so many crying brides and bachelorettes. Um, blacking out is the only thing black about that city, by the way. Um, notice that I said what? <laughs> notice that I said white men in the last sentence because there is nothing diverse about the country music capital of America. I even had a man say, you look different to me in the midst of his racially fueled diatribe. Nashville, because your friend's last wish before he or she gets married is for you to pretend you like country music. Visit today. <laughs> Damn. Dude, that was a banger of a line. The only thing black is blacking out. Yeah, that was a white ass city. Oh my God, dude. Hey, good for their marketing department. Just being honest out there, you know, I have a respect for that. Um, I can go. I can go first too for the funniest thing since we're slide double, into it. Yeah, double, obviously it's on. It's on brand. It's on brand. Our last day in Nashville, we were um, obviously like some of us were hungover the most, um, and we went to a barbecue place, kind of like in the middle of a strip mall. It looked like it was kind of kind of a bad optic, and the food was okay, so it ended up working out. But we got some barbecue, and our one friend, um, he's a New Zealander, lives in the states now, and. Um, his just accent is just like hilarious because him describing a hangover was just like funny to me and I wasn't taking it seriously, but he was dying. And he <laughs> yeah. was like really struggling and so much so that he did not order food. And at one point he was like, I need to go lay outside in the 95 degree heat with the sun beaming down on him. And he just like can't even do it. And he like walks outside and like gets on a knee and is just like on a knee outside of the restaurant and everyone is walking in staring at him so much so that the service staff came over and gave <laughs> us like for free Sprite and some crackers and stuff like that. And they were like, is your friend okay? We're like, no. Hey, to give to give more context <laughs> to this, the, the the setting was a absolutely blighted strip mall, effectively. Like you know, the type of place you'd see like a old rundown. I was going to say Books A Million, but apparently there's a fuck ton of Books A Million still out there. Um, and we were in... Like, and definitely not a barbecue joint that would come up on the list of barbecue joints anywhere near the city of Nashville. Uh, it was effectively like a, a, a half Shoney's, half like the first version of Arby's. Uh, you know, I love Arby's, but they're like their solarium setup was absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, yeah, he it was the most uncomfortable looking uh, knee, by the way, like not yeah. a good you, you wouldn't want to be terrible. in that knee in a yep. huddle for a couple minutes listening to the coach yeah um yeah the one woman's reaction uh who gave him the sprite that said i've never seen anything like this <laughs> was fucking great uh also he never laid down so not even a man of his word um, a lot of open containers in the restaurant though which um not open containers of alcohol oh, open, yeah. open gun containers or like <laughs> oh, what's the, what's the word open gun container holster a holster yeah, yeah, yeah. open yeah. gun container yeah Right. Pasha Mahar, 2021. <laughs> Drink out of your gun. Dude, oh, that's so fantastic. Um, well, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i pop in with my ad and then end with my uh, terrible funny things of the week. Uh, out here in the podcasting world, you know, we, we know you're, you're probably listening at home. You're listening on the go. Um, you know, cooking, meals, that's always a concern. There's a lot of solutions out there. So um, here at Doing Life, we've, we've got a sponsor that uh, provides a revolutionary solution um, to you making all your meals at home and saving money at the same time. Um, and that solution is going to the fucking grocery <laughs> store yourself. You're a goddamn adult going to the grocery store. Can feed you for an entire fucking week, not just one meal that's done in 15 minutes. Um, also most meals only take 25 to 40 if you're doing them by yourself. And most of that time is things being put in the fucking oven. Your lives are not nearly as busy as you're making out. And 
it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, Blue Apron, some of those are fine. They're fun. They're substitutes. Stop acting like it's saving you money. Daily Harvest is fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you can't buy a bag of fucking mixed berries and make a fruit smoothie yourself for a reasonable price. Yep. It's so thank gross, you, man. Thank you uh, to the folks from going to the grocery store. Uh, <laughs> it's so gross, man. Like every time I've ever had a Blue Apron meal, I've been like, wow, this is awful. And also I'm bigger man and I tend to eat two of the entrees. So really not to say <laughs> so, yeah, so you had to get the yeah. uh, two to four person meal yes. pack. I, I will not say that they were um, unappetizing because I've had them before and, and uh, I thought they were tasty. But uh, I can't imagine serving my fucking family Blue Apron. Like, I don't know, dude. It's never happened. Never happened. <laughs> never happened i i hope one day we get big enough for blue apron to reach out to us and uh we just play this clip instead of yep. reading their fucking copy uh all right for bill burn you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i feel fair enough uh all right so restaurant i work at has lunchtime service i never actually work lunchtime but you know we've got the little like come in got your punch card you come in like five times and you save 10 bucks on your next visit so one of my regulars comes in during a lunch service. Uh, he's telling me about this later at night when I was uh, bartending and he orders a, a special that we had on that day. And it was like a effectively a Philly's cheesesteak. It's not what it was called. Not to interrupt when you say lunch service, it always reminds me of like going to a funeral service and like getting lunch or something like that. Like I never you associate uh, just cause the word service. Yeah, I, okay. never, I never hear someone refer to like, yeah, we do lunch service at our Fair, Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 Actually. Yeah. Very on point. Yeah. Um, I mean, we do cater funerals, so maybe we don't. That, uh, what the fuck was I even at now? Uh, he comes steak. in for lunch, mm-hmm. orders the special sandwich that's supposed to be a Philly cheesesteak, um, essentially, and he gets it. And it's based, they didn't cut the fucking steak up. It's just like a slab of steak on the sandwich, and which is ridiculous. You're like having to fucking rip into it, and you don't have a fork and knife so he brings it up to the server um and she goes back to the kitchen like tells him like what's up like why did you guys do this like you need to have sliced this anyways he doesn't have enough time for them to like redo it or whatever he's just got to fucking get going so her solution is the funniest thing because she took a lunch punch card you have to come five times to get the ten dollars she punched out three of them hands it to him and says Hey, here, you only have to come back two more times and you'll get a discount. She basically gave him six dollars. <laughs> she she comp- basically said, Hey, can you spend forty dollars to save ten? Did she get for st- us fucking up? Did she comp the meal or no? No. Wow. So ridiculous. he tells me this story as I'm sitting there serving him and I'm oh horrified God, and laughing. Oh my god. And I'm like, that's fucking ridiculous. So I just fucking gave I I put all of his fucking drinks on the house. It was only like, uh, you know, two beers and a shot, but I was just like, that is no way to do it. He also runs a business in the same complex as us. He's like a business neighbor of ours. So I'm like, why would you, yeah, it's not just a random up. passerby. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's just fucking a ridiculous way to solve that situation. I don't know why I'm stuck on this part of the story, but like, who orders a shot by themselves casually? Like two beers and a shot so you can go home and like hang out with your family? I mean, uh, a lot of them order shots by themselves. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, it just—it's a sipping shot for him. He's not ripping a shot. He's uh, just kind of okay. sipping on okay. it. Okay. Um, but I mean, I do have other people that do just you mean like a bourbon straight or like a shot of bourbon, like just in this case, beer. it is a Jaeger that he is sipping on. Oh my god! Did the Jaeger bottles go down? Which <laughs> Na- Nashville Kid Rocks. Fun time. Worst fucking drinks I've ever had in my life. Yeah, uh, it was bad. Dude, a, a Jaeger bomb is not what they gave us. Uh, and it was fucking awful. And uh, I, I told everyone in my bar about it. And I was like, you know, not that we do anything special here, but I I am grateful for the way that we serve Jaeger bombs. And so should you. Especially like everyone, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, and the last little tidbit, I thought this was fucking hilarious. I have a chip in my windshield uh, and called this dude up who... Or I texted him who does mobile um, windshield like crack okay. repair and he's mobile, which is very important to the story. He is mobile. Text this dude to like set some shit up because he'll like come when you're at work or he'll go to your house or whatever. And he's, like delay in texting and he's like not getting back to me. Like, that's cool. I, you got probably a lot of shit to do. That's why you didn't answer your phone. And then he texts me. Uh, yeah. Can you come to me? 
She's like, dude, what? Where are you? I, 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 I want you to text him now and be like, uh, yeah, actually, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll charge. Been here for five minutes. Where are you? I'll charge double if you come to me. And he'll be like, okay, what's the address? And you send him my address to Charlotte, North Carolina instead. I was just like, we'll dude, see. this is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Uh, yeah, I think dude, we're, we're right over the hour mark. We, we didn't slip under, but that's that's okay. I think, I think our listeners will be. Another uh, podcast episode down, Mike. Dude, well, well done to you. Taking actions. Appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate you setting it up. We the, eclipsed the century mark, by the way. This is, our, I think, our 10th episode. The century mark. Decade mark. Wait, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Fasha. Oh, man. No, sir. <laughs> yeah, well, it would be. 10 is a decade, so if that's what you were going for, right, it was decade bad, mark. Bad, bad, bad. I didn't know if you meant, like, a hundred minutes. We had, we'd go, well, we'd, we've definitely done that, not specifically in this episode. We've definitely eclipsed the century mark in terms of minutes. You fucking imbecile. Uh, all right. That's a loss. That's how we're ending the podcast. <laughs> Goodbye, yeah, everyone. I, yeah. <laughs> it, it, this may not be the song, but uh, I think in honor of Kid Rocks and what they had displayed very tackily on the wall, uh, enjoy the outro of Cadillac Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys. Yeah, I really hope we don't play that. Thanks, guys.